Good afternoon and welcome. I'm Emily Sullivan, the Enterprise City Hall reporter with the Baltimore Banner, sitting in for Tom Hall today. Now, this is a homecoming of sorts for me. Some listeners may remember I previously covered City Hall for WIPR. I am so happy to be back in the studio with some of my favorite faces in Baltimore, and I want to thank Tom so much for inviting me to guest host today. And today on Midday, we're going to take a closer look at the annual Baltimore City tax sale. Let's say you're a homeowner who had a tough year and you don't pay your property tax bill. The city can place a lien on your house and auction off that lien at the annual tax sale each May. An investigation by WIPR's news partner, the Baltimore Banner, found that roughly 41,000 homes have been through the tax sale process since 2016. Debts attached to these properties have gone up for auction at a public online process where individuals or LLCs can bid to purchase the liens. Then the buyer clears the debt with the city and state, but the homeowner now owes the third party who purchased their debt. And if that remains unpaid, the third party can charge the homeowner steep interest and eventually begin a foreclosure process to claim the property as their own. If you're not a real estate or tax attorney, navigating this process is complicated and confusing. Today, we'll talk with guests who regularly assist Baltimoreans in the tax sale process, Baltimore City Council member Odette Ramos and Dan Ellis of Neighborhood Housing Services. They'll discuss the sale's far-reaching implications and potential solutions for homeowners ensnared by it. But joining me now in Studio A to start untangling this issue is my colleague at the Baltimore Banner, Sophie Kasakov. She covers housing and therefore all things tax sale, and she recently published a series of investigative articles about the process. Sophie, welcome to Midday. Thank you for joining us. Thanks so much for having me. And you can join the conversation by emailing us or tweeting at at Midday WIPR on Twitter, and our email is midday at WIPR.org. So Sophie, let's start with one of the articles you wrote with our other co-worker, Nick Team, a data reporter at the Banner. Uh, it partially covered the story of Arnita Owens Phillips, who started out her tax sale journey by owing $2,000 in property taxes on her brick row home in East Baltimore. Can you walk us through her journey with tax sale? Yeah. So Arnita had a difficult time during the pandemic financially. She had had a home daycare business, had to close that down during the pandemic, and that made it difficult for her to keep up with some of her bills, including her her property taxes on her home in East Baltimore. So her home was put into tax sale, and in January of last year, she got a letter notifying her that the lien on her property had been purchased by an investor. She could still reclaim the her home from the investor, but by the time that she got the letter, the amount that she owed had doubled. That was with extra property taxes that had been put on, with interest, with attorney's fees, past due water bills. All in all, she just couldn't pay it. And by August, the company had filed to foreclose on the property. So Arnita was luckily able to connect with a legal aid attorney, and she was able to get a grant to pay back the Uh, amount owed. Um, But obviously, the process was really difficult for her. And for people who don't connect with a legal aid attorney, it can be a lot more difficult to reclaim their property. Mm -hmm. 
And just how common are stories like Arnita's in Baltimore? Can you walk us through the data that you and Nick uncovered in reporting this process? Yeah, so we found that um, 41,000 properties have gone through the city's tax sale since 2016. A lot of those homeowners are able to redeem their properties before the homes go into foreclosure, Um, but we found that over 1,700 homes during that time did actually change hands through the tax sale. Mm -hmm. Let's talk specifically about the census tracts that you guys examined. Can you walk us through what exactly the highest hit census tracts deal with with tax sale? Yeah, so it is really disproportionately felt across the city of Baltimore. In majority black areas, there are some places where nearly every block has been impacted by the tax sale. Um, We found that in southwest Baltimore and Sandtown, Winchester, over 40% of all buildings have gone through the tax sale since 2016. So, uh, you know, basically we were we were able to show that in majority black areas, um, it's far more likely that homes will enter into tax sale than white uh, majority census tracts. And in terms of the homes that actually do transfer ownership through tax sale, um, every single one of the ones that we identified as having transferred ownership after tax sale um, were in majority black neighborhoods. Mm-hmm. So who exactly are purchasing these liens. Can you walk us through the process of of why people decide to buy these liens and charge the interest? Who is profiting off of this? Yeah, well, there's a group of investors that, you know, we've been able to identify as a fairly small group um, of investment groups who have sort of figured out how to navigate this process and are the ones who are buying the majority of the liens at tax sale. Um, You know, we found that it's fairly profitable for them. Um, Since 2016, investors have made tens of millions of dollars through the tax sale, both through collecting interest and through flipping houses acquired at tax sale. In terms of profits, of course, from the city's perspective, the tax sale is also profitable for the city. The idea behind the tax sale, um, you know, from the city's view is that it generates revenue, that it helps the city collect taxes, um, you know, from people who might not pay otherwise. Um, but we found that the city generates uh, 10 to 20 million of um, a year from the tax sale, which is a half a percent to one percent of the city's um, budget. And, you know, critics say that that amount is actually, you know, somewhat insignificant compared to the amount of money that the city actually loses sort of indirectly when you think about the costs associated with vacant housing, um, and especially in neighborhoods with a really high share of uh, vacant houses. Mm -hmm. Let's get into the vacant part of the conversation. I remember when I was first reporting about the tax sale years ago, housing advocates introduced this concept to me um, about zombie properties meeting properties that stay vacant because all of the liens attached to them. Can you walk us through what their shelf life on the tax sale is like? Yeah, so there are a lot of properties that sort of cycle in and out of the tax sale repeatedly over years. And what what sort of the problem and the reason that vacancy can sort of be prolonged through the tax sale is that when a lien holder buys the tax certificate, at the annual tax sale, they aren't acquiring the property, they're acquiring the tax debt. So that means that, you know, there's no one party that is responsible at that point for 
um, any additional taxes, any citations. So you end up with these properties that are sort of in limbo, um, in a legal limbo. And that's what we're referring to when we talk about zombie properties. So these properties can really quickly sort of rack up liens, rack up interest, and there's no one party that's sort of responsible. Um, that can make it more difficult for another buyer at that point to then acquire the property because it's not just the cost of the property, it's all these other costs that have sort of come due on this property. So uh, whether that's an individual home buyer or you know, a nonprofit developer, um, it sort of makes it more difficult to intervene at that point. Um, and there are uh, some tools that the city is sort of trying to use right now to address that. Um, I know that your next guest, Councilwoman Odette Ramos, will want to talk about that. So maybe I'll leave that to her. Mm -hmm. I remember uh, at this point, maybe two years ago, taking a walk through West Baltimore with Nika Namdi of Fight Blight Be More, who does a lot of great work, advocacy work around this space. And she walked me by this large building that was just completely burnt out. There was, it was, it was a row home um, that had, I remember, tree branches sticking out of the window. It was just in such a state of disrepair. And when we looked at the amount of liens owed on that house, it was something like $20,000 from years of unpaid property taxes, um, from other violations that also accumulate through liens. Um, and Ms. Namdi said, people, no investor is going to want to touch this house. It's already underwater because there's so much renovation costs that you would need if you wanted to flip it or move in yourself. Um, and you would need to pay these tens of thousands of dollars on on the liens. And her theory was this exacerbates in a great degree the vacancy crisis. Um, when you and Nick were doing your reporting on vacants, did you find out any information about how long the average vacant has been on the tax sale for? Um, are the vacants mostly owned by people who are deceased and who didn't have a will? Were there any characteristics about those sort of properties you could walk us through? Yeah. Um, well, we definitely, you know, uh, do know that there is a large issue with vacancy and properties that are on the tax sale tied to this issue of um, heirs properties and, you know, properties where people haven't necessarily transferred the deed, transferred the ownership, um, and, you know, sort of uh, are, are lose the property sort of over time through this process, through a sort of combination of, you know, bureaucratic challenges that they might encounter, um, you know, the process of transferring um, the the title and the deed to a property um, can be really challenging and can be really cumbersome. And, you know, people might not understand all of the um, reasons why it's actually in their interest, um, especially when navigating the tax sale process to transfer, um, you know, ownership from a deceased family member. Um, so, you know, one thing that comes up sort of around vacant houses also uh, that we got into in the story is the additional costs that people who actually are living in properties that are sort of, um, you know, classified as non-owner occupied properties by the city sort of are, have a more difficult time navigating the tax sale process. Um, they're charged higher interest rate um, to investors. They're, um, you know, not entitled to certain 
uh, benefits or um, tax credits that might help keep them out of tax sale in the first place. Um, so, yeah, it sort of gets at, you know, these other issues around um, classification of buildings and, you know, sort of being able to make sure that homeowners have the ability to, you know, stay in their homes and, you know, continue to pay those bills. Mm-hmm. If you're just joining us, you're listening to Midday on WYPR. We're discussing Baltimore's annual tax sale with Sophie Kasakov, a housing reporter for the Baltimore Banner. I'm Emily Sullivan, sitting in for Tom Hall. Uh, now, Sophie, the tax sale system really made some headlines over the last few years. Um, as the pandemic hit, people stayed home, jobs were lost, and people struggled to make ends meet. Uh, both mayors, Jack Young and Brandon Scott, took various actions um, to try to keep people off the tax sale list. Um, can you walk us through changes that have happened in the last few years and, and what we're still waiting on? So last year and the year before, Mayor Scott took uh, a lot of owner-occupied properties off of the tax sale list, but those were temporary measures. Um, There was one statewide bill in 2019 that allows for people who are disabled or low-income or elderly to be removed from the tax sale list. And the state uh, recently also launched a pilot program that allows the state to purchase tax liens rather than investors. Um, But that has really limited funding. So right now, state legislators are considering a number of different bills that would sort of tackle different aspects of the tax sale process. Um, There's one proposal that would make redemption easier for homeowners. There's one that would help transfer ownership more easily to um, heirs. Uh, And there's one that would permit local governments to set their own timelines for tax sale proceedings. So that seems to be the one that could have the largest uh, ramifications for the system overall in Baltimore because it would give Baltimore and other jurisdictions across the state um, a lot more power over how and when to conduct the tax sale. Mm-hmm. I think uh, you you brought this up earlier, um, but the question of tangled titles is a good thing to examine. Um, for those who may have missed that part of the conversation, tangled titles occur when Uh, usually when a homeowner dies without a will. So while there are heirs who have been told perhaps verbally, you know, you'll get grandma's property when she passes away, grandma may not have actually completed a lease, meaning the property is in this weird sort of limbo and does not qualify in the eyes of the government as an owner-occupied property. Um, Can you walk us through how confusing it can be for legislators and advocates to deal with that process of getting the deed in the rightful heir's name and also making the government recognize that home as indeed owner-occupied. Yeah. um, So this was a pretty significant part of the research that our data reporter, Nick Team, looked at for this story. Um, He found that um, out of the 10,000 homes that had liens put on them in Baltimore since 2016, where the address of the property owner matched that of the property that had a lien put on it, um, the majority were actually classified by the state as non-owner occupied. Um, so basically what all those numbers mean is that there are you know, potentially a lot of properties out there that someone, a family member, is actually living in, but the state and the city don't have that in their records. Um, you know, so 
essentially uh, when the state, when state legislators and city elected officials are thinking about sort of ways to tackle the tax sale problem, this kind of creates an issue because people are thinking about tax sale properties kind of in these two different buckets, I think. There's owner-occupied properties that were, you know, people like um, Miss Owens Phillips, who we talked about uh, earlier, who, you know, are living in the property, who are stuck, um, you know, in this difficult situation. And then there's people who, you know, there, there are these properties that are maybe owned by investors and, you know, maybe an absentee landlord or something like that. And, you know, there's this feeling that, you know, in terms of policy approaches, that there's different policies that would tackle these two different issues. But in fact, Ms. Owens Phillips, actually, her property was marked as non-owner occupied because she hadn't transferred the deed. Um, you know, that was a cumbersome process and she didn't know, you know, that she needed to do that, essentially. Um, so, I think, uh, you know, her story really sort of gets it, the challenge, um, you know, and, and the necessity for, uh, you know, elected officials to address, um, you know, this aspect of the issue. Mm-hmm. And we should add that if a home is viewed as non-owner occupied, you need to rack up far less liens to land on the tax sale process uh, or the tax sale list, rather. Um, I, it's $250 of unpaid liens for an un, you know, for a building that the government views as non-owner occupied to end up on the tax sale, compared to seven hundred and fifty dollars um, for an owner occupied unit, um, what sort of small charges can wind someone up on tax sale on the tax sale list? I think people tend to use unpaid property taxes as the most obvious example, but we know that there are many other ways to wind up on the list as well. Yeah. There's definitely all sorts of different types of bills, um, you know, associated with property taxes that people might not be aware of. I talked with one homeowner who there was some sort of special tax that was specific to his neighborhood um, that ended up, you know, going unpaid. And that was the reason that he ended up on the, um, you know, tax sale list. And, you know, he didn't even really know what this charge was. I mean, there have been efforts to address this in recent years. It used to be that you could actually end up on the tax sale for just water bills, and now that's not possible um, thanks to a change in legislation. But, you know, there are other reasons that people can end up on the tax sale list. And once someone is on the tax sale list, these other bills, water bills, for example, can be added onto the amount owed so that makes it more difficult for people to redeem their properties. Mm-hmm. And what sort of interest rates are people on tax sale facing? Yeah, so people who are classified their properties as owner-occupied, like we talked about, it, their interest rate is 12%. For people who are in properties that are classified as non-owner-occupied, um, that's 18%. 18%. I don't think most people would want to take out a car lease or car loan with 18% or right. a mortgage. right. Um, and we talked earlier about the mayor removing owner-occupied things from the tax sale list. For for folks who didn't have the deed transferred, like Miss Owens Phillips, what sort of help is available to them in, in navigating being on the list? Yeah, so ultimately, um, Arnita was able to apply for a pandemic uh, relief grant. Um, It's called the HALF program. Um, She was able to apply for that. 
But, um, you know, there aren't a lot of sort of ways that she, without transferring the deed, um, could have accessed the same help that other people who are registered on the deed can can access in terms of homeowners tax credits. I mean, that's something that I think advocates, um, you know, feel pretty strongly that a lot of the way, most effective way to address the system as the system currently stands is to make it easier for people to access the credits that they are entitled to, the tax credits that they are entitled to, um, to make it more affordable for them to pay their taxes. Um, so that's the really difficult thing for someone who hasn't transferred the deed is that they're not entitled to those. Um, and then it sort of becomes more about trying to access help after the fact um, to be able to pay off the, um, the owed debt um, once it's already accumulated. Mm-hmm. And those tax credits include things like the homesteaders tax credit for owner-occupied properties, um, dependents tax credits. I've heard um, Delegate Stephanie Smith talk extensively about efforts to do door knocking, particularly for senior citizens who may not have as much internet access to spread awareness about different property tax credits they might have access to without realizing. Um, Sophie, thank you for joining us. Sophie Kasikov is a housing reporter for the Baltimore Banner. Thanks so much. Uh, Baltimore City Council member Odette Ramos and Dan Ellis from Neighborhood Housing Services will join us next to talk about the work they've done over the years to improve the tax sale process. I'm Emily Sullivan, in for Tom Hall. Stay with us. You're listening to 88.1 WYPR. Coming up tomorrow, WYPR's Ashley Sterner will fill the host chair while Tom Hall is away. They'll lead a conversation on current state legislation and public policy that affects the transgender community. We'll hear from State Delegate Ann Kaiser on the Trans Health Equity Act, plus community advocates working on the Transgender Respect, Agency, and Dignity Act for correctional facilities. That's tomorrow here on Midday. But today, I'm Emily Sullivan in for Tom Hall, and we are continuing our spot light on Baltimore's tax sale, the annual process by which Baltimore auctions off property debts to third-party investors who can charge homeowners steep interest and foreclose on their homes if the debts remain unpaid. Supporters of the process say it's a way for the city to recoup unpaid bills. But detractors point to the predominantly black, low-income families that lose wealth from tax sale. My next two guests are working to reform the city's tax sale process. Councilwoman Odette Ramos represents District 14, and she joins us in Studio A. Councilwoman, welcome to Midday. Thanks so much for having us. I really appreciate your spotlight on this issue. And also joining me here today in Studio A is Dan Ellis, the Executive Director of Neighborhood Housing Services of Baltimore, housing nonprofit that operates from a mix of public funds. He also serves as co-chair of the Mayor's Tax Sale Workgroup. Dan, welcome to Midday. Thanks so much for having me. So Dan, I'm going to open it up to you. Can you walk us through the work that the work group has been doing over the last, what is it, two years now? Yes. So the mayor appointed a work group uh, made up of people who are interested in tax sale and have expertise on it in the fall last year. So it's been about 15 months. 
And the group was tasked with creating an equitable solution for tax sale for Baltimore City. Because as we've heard from Sophie and others earlier today, tax sale really is problematic for many communities and many residents in Baltimore. And our mayor identified this as, as something that could be used, to, could be reformed to help bring equity to our city. So our group has really worked on it, but we recognize going into this that there's really two sides to the issue. One is, is that we have a lot of residents who get caught up in the process, as we heard through some of the stories that Sophie shared. And those residents, we want to slow down the process and provide as much support as possible and make sure that they are set up for success and able to pay their bills. We then also have vacant properties. And for those of us who know Baltimore well and love Baltimore, our goal is to move those properties as quickly as we can to productive reuse. So we want the process to go quickly. So we set up two subgroups, one looking at the occupied properties, one looking at the vacant properties to divide the issue in two. We also recognize that just changing the existing system was not an answer that we were looking for because the existing system was really designed to take wealth from low-income African-American residents and communities and move it to wealthier people, wealthier communities. Um, And it's a historic vestige of a lot of the racist policies from many years ago. And so we didn't want to just reform around the edges of that, but rather to really um, bring about transformative change. And so that's, that's what we've been doing. And we've come forward now with recommendations that are ready to move forward to the state. And the legislation has been introduced at the state, um, led by the mayor and his team down in Annapolis. And we're really excited about that. Mm-hmm. And before we get into those new pieces of legislation, I do want to acknowledge the challenges in reforming such an entrenched system. I remember you said to me years ago, constitutional property law is pretty clear. It is hard, particularly with tangled titles, to to move that around. How how do you deal with such a complicated issue when such there's such a dire need at hand? Right. That's a great question. The Constitution's really clear that you can't take someone's property without due appropriate compensation. And that's a well-ingrained right that we all believe in and, and hold dear. But that also holds true to properties that have been neglected and vacant and falling down. Because the city, as we know, owns very few of the vacant properties in Baltimore. And so what we do, what we've done is we've designed a system that's really sets up three possible outcomes after at the end of a property when it moves through the process. The first is the property could be auctioned off. If a property is auctioned off, then the auction determines what the value of the property is and any excess proceeds go to the prior owner. The second option is if the liens exceed the value of the property, then there's not deemed to be any value in the property. And because there's no value in the property, we're able to really, uh, the, the city can take deed for it in exchange for removing the liens. The third option is, is there can be an appraisal done of the property and the, the compensation is the difference between the amount of the outstanding debt and the value of the appraisal. So the previous homeowner would receive that amount of difference for the property. And that creates a compensation that meets the constitutional standards that have to be met. But it was not simple to come up with and, and really identify because it's really important to many of us that the community and the city together can identify and control what the outcomes of the property are and they just don't go to the highest bidder. 
um, because when you do that, you end up with outcomes that aren't serving to the community. Mm-hmm. And Councilwoman Ramos, when you are talking with constituents about navigating this process, I mean, reciting what, what Dan just did is complicated, unless you're a tax attorney mm-hmm. or a, a real estate lawyer. Um Talk to me about, for years now, being on different iterations of the tax sale work group under different administrations, um, and the difference in the work being done now. Yeah, so um, again, thanks for your spotlight on this on this issue. There are a few of us that have been working on um, addressing tax sale for many years. Um, and uh, again, there's both the vacant property side, which Dan just talked about, and also the fact that we want to keep people in their homes. Um, and, and that's really the bottom line. Um, a lot of this is technical, uh, but, uh, you know, when homeowners are getting that final bill and legal notice um, in February and running around trying to figure out either there was an accounting issue or how they're going to pay the taxes, I don't know anybody who doesn't want to pay their taxes. It's just a matter of, um, you know, something that had happened, and particularly during COVID when people were paying for medical bills rather than their taxes, uh, this was a really big deal. But we've been working on this for a long time. Uh, There's been such an evolution on this issue now in terms of both in the General Assembly and obviously here with the mayor's um, leadership on this. So I'm I'm really, really excited about where we are uh, to create an entirely new system of how we are going to collect taxes um, and not rely on these third-party investors um, that they don't um, necessarily, they'll disagree with me, but they don't necessarily care about, you know, what happens with the house or what happens with um, the the person that's in the house. Um, they just want the m- uh, money back for the lien and all of the other fees um, that they are allowed to collect. And again, this is a state issue. That's why we have to go to the state for permission to create a completely new system. Um, so once we get these two bills passed in Annapolis, um, then we'll be able to work with the council and with the mayor's office to create our new system so that we can work with people on payment plans um, and try to get those um, those taxes in. And again, you know, the, the argument has been, well, you know, we get $20 million, the city gets $20 million immediately once we have the tax sale. Um, but that's a minuscule amount considering all of the various impacts that tax sale has on families and communities. Um, so that that's not worth it to me. We, we want to collect the, that revenue, but we want to do it in a just and equitable way um, where we work with people um, and then, uh, you know, make sure that there's uh, resources available um, and help them along the way. Because I think the scariest thing for a resident when I'm knocking on their door because I see that their name is on the tax sale list and they're crying saying, I don't want to lose my house. I can't lose my house. Or I thought I paid. Or I had something else come up. Or, you know, they were on a reverse mortgage and didn't realize that they had to pay. You know, it's a whole different issue. Um, it's just unconscionable what we've been doing with for fa- uh, against families for so long. And we're finally at a point where we can end it. Right. And, and very many advocates have said to me over the years, the $20 million surely must pale in comparison to the various social services we need to give and provide people because of tax sale. Mm -hmm. Um, With the minute we have left in this segment, um, Councilwoman, can you talk to me about the legislation to remove the city's tax sale oversight from the state and to the city? Yes. So this bill is actually being heard on the 28th in the House and the 8th in the Senate, uh, basically authorizing uh, Baltimore City to create its own 
system. Um, and that is huge, huge, huge. And we're uh, looking forward to support from the General Assembly to allow us to, to do that. And the system, again, would have payment plans. It would allow for us to um, work with homeowners, um, do a lot better around communication of what the uh, resources are. Uh, and uh, the, the biggest piece is that we don't have to do the sale um, and we can offer payment plans. So this is huge and we're looking forward to support from the General Assembly. Mm-hmm. Baltimore City Councilwoman Odette Ramos and Dan Ellis, the executive director of the Neighborhood Housing Services of Baltimore, uh, have both been involved in the tax sale advocacy space for years. And Ellis chairs the mayor's co-chairs, the mayor's tax sale workgroup. We'll hear more from them after a short break. But before we go to that break, each week here on Midday, it's our practice to read the names of the people who have lost their lives to violence in Baltimore City and to list their names on the Midday webpage. We do so to stand in witness to their untimely deaths and to remember their families and friends and their hour of grief. So far in 2023, 33, excuse me, 33 people have lost their lives to violence in Baltimore. Police have released the identities of the four people who fell victim to homicide in the city last week. Their names are Joseph Garrison, age 42, Earl Watkins, age 32, Melvin Cummings, age 44, and Andres Moreno Jr. He was 16 years old. It's midday. I'm Emily Sullivan, in for Tom Hall. Stay with us. This is your public radio, 88.1 WYPR. You're listening to Midday. I'm Emily Sullivan, sitting in for Tom Hall. We've been discussing Baltimore's tax sale and possible solutions to improve the annual process with Councilwoman Odette Ramos and Dan Ellis of NHS Baltimore. Dan is also a co-chair of the Mayor's Tax Sale Workgroup, and Councilmember Ramos has advocated for tax sale reform for years. I have an email from our listener, Earl about his experience with the tax sale. He writes, I personally endured a terrible experience. My taxes were current. We had paid our taxes on time by certified check via mail. We had no idea that our home had entered tax default status until we received a very disturbing certified letter from a law firm. We were charged interest and penalties for the first tax period, which in actuality was paid on time. We also paid certified check fees twice to the bank and a stop payment fee on the original check. It was a horrible experience. Earl's email reminds me of so many clerical error horror stories I've heard. Um, Councilwoman Ramos, how often do constituents reach out to you with this sort of experience? Uh, A lot. Uh, There have been times where uh, people haven't, um, you know, 
they didn't know all the rules because the rules are arcane and hard to understand, uh, which is why uh, we needed a, a tax sale ombudsman, which um, one of the bills that uh, Councilwoman McRae passed uh, in the last council created that tax sale ombudsman so that people could uh, try to you know, contact uh, him and, and maneuver through the process. Um, we uh, got to a point a couple of years ago uh, working with uh, one of my communities um, and the Stop Oppressive Seizures Fund where we did not trust we did not trust the mail we did not trust uh any of the accounting and so we were hand delivering to you know the tax sale office um checks there have been accounting errors um the department of finance is working hard to address those accounting errors moving forward but then there, there's just some of the rules that are just arcane and so uh the idea behind complete and total tax sale reform is to make sure that the rules are um, much better spelled out um and not so uh, crazy that we're we're making it hard for people to pay their taxes. Um, that's crazy, right? I mean, we need the revenue, so why are we making it so hard? So uh, we're we're really looking forward to getting that permission from the General Assembly to uh, make those reforms because you know we're going to go soup to nuts on this to make sure that um, we're doing it right. Mm -hmm. And speaking of reform, let's talk about the in rem foreclosure bill. Can you briefly walk us through that? Yes. Yeah, so this bill. Um, so so. Uh, we'll have to take in rem into two parts. So um, a few years ago, we advocated for a new process to um, address, uh, to, to take possession of vacant and abandoned properties that have high tax liens. We passed in a bipartisan fashion in the General Assembly when I was at my old job at the Community Development Network, um, the bill to create NREM, uh, which allows for uh, the juris any jurisdiction, but Baltimore City is the first to implement it, where when the liens are above the value of the property, of the assessed value of the property, the city can foreclose. And Baltimore City is moving quickly to get to this, to, to implement this, getting more capacity in terms of lawyers. And the circuit court has provided us with this amazing opportunity to have a single docket for um, these cases. The bill before the General Assembly uh, this year is to expand NREM so that we can foreclose on the liens uh, even if they're below the value of the property. So in my district, we did a field survey um, of two neighborhoods that have a lot of vacant properties, 450 uh, vacant properties, uh, and 28% of them are ready for NREM right now. Okay, another 30%, an additional 35% of those properties are approaching NREM. So while we're putting in legislation to create a lot more fees and try to get you know properties to NREM because we're stacking up the liens, we're asking the General Assembly for permission to be able to just foreclose on the liens that are there now and take possession of the property. But we have to have that extra step to make sure that there are proceeds, um, as Dan had explained earlier. Um, so that bill is going to be critical for us to be able to have the opportunity to take possession of these properties um, and control the outcome outcome of the properties. Again, we're trying to not go do tax sale. So it, this also would essentially eliminate tax sale on vacant and abandoned properties. Um, so we're trying to stop tax sale auctions um, so we can control the outcome of the properties and um, and then also uh, make sure that we have that the city can do their block by block approach um, to making sure that we're revitalizing our communities. So mm -hmm. it's super exciting. I'm very excited that the mayor is leading on this. Um, and uh, again, the General Assembly has been um, 
you know, has really evolved on these two issues. Uh, and we also know that, you know, other jurisdictions are starting to look at, you know, how we're doing things so that they can um, do the same thing. So um, it's an exciting time. And I'm, I'm looking forward to testifying on, on both of those bills. Mm-hmm. And here I should say, I mean, the in-rem foreclosure stuff is huge. It's huge. It's no, a game changer. It is a game changer. No tax sale investor, no matter how benevolent they are, is going to want to buy an underwater property with un- with, That's with what's thousands happening. and thousands yep. and thousands of dollars in in liens on top of having to gut and renovate it and that's how we see these zombie properties develop. That's right. So I know that's something that me and, and Sophie Casco from the banner will really be following over the next the, the Yeah. The, I mean just to give folks an example, the um the house that caught fire on Stricker Street that had fifty thousand dollars worth of liens on it. Nobody was bidding on it. We didn't have a process to address it or we were gonna take a slower process to addressing it. Can you imagine if we had NREM now, right? right. If and we had NREM mm-hmm. during that time, this property would have been rehabbed and we wouldn't have had firefighters mm-hmm. die. I mean, it is that much of a game changer that we we have to accelerate moving forward. Um, and I'm so grateful that the circuit court has said very clearly and publicly, this is a priority for them um, to get these cases through. So uh, it's um, this is this is something that we need. Uh, we should have had a long time ago, but we have it now, and we can move forward. Mm-hmm. And my colleague at the banner, Justin Fenton, tracked down the family who had ties to that property, and they said they had these thousands and thousands of dollars on of liens on the house, and they didn't have the ability to deal with that. I mean, there are people who who know when they know the liens exist sometimes just simply don't have the ability or the funds to clear them and rehab the house and there's no avenue for them to get help in that way right now. Um, If you're just joining us, you're listening to Midday. I'm Emily Sullivan in for Tom Hall and we're discussing reform to Baltimore's annual tax sale with Councilwoman Odette Ramos and Dan Ellis of Neighborhood Housing Services. Uh, Dan, I I want to ask, um, as you help develop these bills with the task force, what did you and other members have have to do about the political realities of reforming the sale, the sale that takes place in the city, but is is governed largely through the state? Walk me through the forces that need to be dealt with (laughs) in order to to reform. Sure. This is pretty complicated, as you know and can imagine, and as your listeners can imagine. We're really fortunate that Mayor Scott and his administration have been very supportive of this. That has not always been the case with other administrations prior to his. The mayor has said this is a priority. We want to implement this and has put senior people involved in supporting this work. And that support has been a game changer for actually being able to move this work forward. Having said that, the mayor in and of himself, as we've discussed, doesn't have the authority to do this. So now we have we had to design it. We had to look at the state statute. We had to identify what changes had to be made in order to get the system in place that we were looking at, that the that the group collectively had identified. And out of that, that's why we now have bills in Annapolis. If these bills in Annapolis don't pass, we can't do the new system. It, it's we need permission from the state to be able to do this. If the bills pass, then we will also then need city council approval, which we are confident that the city council has every person on the city council who we've talked to has been very supportive. Yes, Councilman Ramos is vigorously nodding her head right <laughs> yeah. now. Yeah. So, so the council is very supportive and it will allow them to really work through the process together to make sure we get an outcome that serves the residents and the communities of Baltimore. 
but that is still a political process. And so we're aware of that, but I, I'm, I am very optimistic and hopeful that the General Assembly will grant us that permission and that we're going to be able to move forward with a healthy system here in Baltimore that leads to the collections that the city needs while also doing it in a way that treats residents with the dignity and respect and provides equity to the system that really is has been lacking for for so many years. Mm-hmm. Can I just add that the um, there there will be horrific opposition um, from the tech sale purchasing industry. Uh, so so this is not going to be an easy lift in the General Assembly. However, um, as I said earlier, the General Assembly has really evolved also on this. Uh, many members who I remember, you know, sparring with before are um, much more sympathetic now because they, you know, have seen what we've been able to do in Baltimore and what might be a, a possibility for their jurisdiction. Uh, obviously, we have new leadership at the governor's mansion, um, and who's my constituent, by the way. Um, <laughs> and also, um, you know, uh, the s- new leadership in the General Assembly. So it, it will be a battle. It is not going to be easy. Mm-hmm. But um, we are prepared uh, to put, you know, everything um, that we have into it. Our delegation is completely behind us, which is excellent. So that's that's going to be very helpful. So um, the the tax purchasers are are you know they make a lot of money off of Baltimore City, uh, and so they're not going to go lightly. Um, but uh, many of us have been very. I will just speak for myself. Very public about the fact that we want to get them out of business here, and uh, we'll continue to fight to make that happen. Mm-hmm. So it, it is that time of the year. I'm getting hit with targeted internet ads about filing my taxes. Uh-huh. Um, so as, as residents are busting out their checkbooks and certified checks and going through their property tax documents, what do you two think they should know about plans for the sale this year? Are you anticipating another round of removals of owner-occupied properties? So the administration has not yet given an indication of what they're planning to do this year. Um, we are, they, they are not allowed to cancel the tax sale. There has to be a tax sale according to state law. And if our bills pass this year, they won't take effect until after the, this year's schedule. They would take effect in, in July. And so therefore, there has to be a tax sale this year. Last year, as you mentioned, the mayor chose to remove all owner-occupied properties, which we are very appreciative of and grateful for and have been able to work with a number of those homeowners so that they have been able to catch up on their taxes in the interim period without significant fees accruing. We don't know if the mayor intends to do that again. That was done using some COVID relief funds and some other support that may not currently be available. So I'm hopeful that they are willing and able to do that. But whether they are or not, there's a lot of factors at play. I would encourage anyone who's struggling to to reach out for supports. There are a number of organizations that they can connect with that will provide supports, make sure they understand the process, understand their rights, and make sure that they are addressing the problem proactively rather than just pretending it won't go away. Mm-hmm. Please reach out for help. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's definitely right. We we don't know. So uh, we want to uh, encourage people to, to go ahead, obviously pay the taxes if you need help. Uh, there are uh, housing counseling organizations across the city that are trained on helping people with the homeowner assistance fund applications. That is a state-run program that uh, would provide $10,000, up to $10,000 um, for tax relief um, and a few other things. Um, and you can also go online and apply. Uh, that 
program is going to end at the end of 24 because it is a COVID um, program. Uh, but right now, we've just got to make sure we don't leave any money on the table. So apply for that. Uh, there's also um, the SOS fund. Um, there's uh, lots of organizations that can help with, you know, any accounting issues um, as well. So certainly, uh, folks can also contact my office um, at uh, 410-396-4814 or email at odette.ramos at baltimorecity.gov, and we're happy to, to happy to help. Mm-hmm. Councilwoman Odette Ramos represents District 14 for Baltimore City. Thank you, Councilwoman. Thanks so much for having me. And Dan Ellis is the Executive Director of NHS of Baltimore. Thanks, Dan. Thanks so much. That's it for us today. Tomorrow on Midday, guest host Ashley Sterner will be sitting in for Tom Hall. They'll focus on new legislation in the Maryland General Assembly that will be critically important to the transgender community. I'm Emily Sullivan, the Enterprise City Hall reporter at WYPR's news partner, The Baltimore Banner. It has been an absolute pleasure joining you on the radio today. Thank you for listening and have a great day. This is your public radio, 881 WYPR.